Welcome to Wireless Water Cooler, a special Tower Talk segment. Join Inside Towers Managing Editor Jim Fryer and Wireless Infrastructure Association President and CEO Patrick Halley for some good old water cooler conversation about what's happening in the wireless infrastructure world. And here are your hosts. Yes, and welcome to the new Wireless Water Cooler. We are now kicking it off uh, with Patrick Halley, who is the President CEO of WIA. And uh, briefly about Patrick's background, he had been Senior Vice President of Policy and Advocacy and General Counsel of US Telecom, uh, been with some major DC law firms and had worked with the FCC prior to that. So he brings a very good pedigree to the job and uh, we're looking forward to uh, working together with you here, Patrick, on bringing the water cooler to a, to a new chapter. Well, it's great to be here, Jim, uh, and it's great to be here with uh, Inside Towers, a loyal reader uh, of your great work every morning and whenever else you're putting things out. So thank you for the great work that you guys do. Uh, and yeah, I am thrilled to be the CEO of the Wireless Infrastructure Association, uh, where we are uh, bringing together you know, the entire ecosystem that uh, makes up the wireless infrastructure industry from the macro towers to small cells, DAS, in-building, fiber, radios, antennas, you name it. Uh, and we're really excited about our ConnectX conference coming up here in May uh, in New Orleans, uh, just next week, actually, uh, where that uh, full connectivity sector will be on display um, in New Orleans. And it's going to be a really great event. But yeah, really great to be here. Really, uh, you know, enjoy working with uh, everybody in this industry. And uh, I couldn't be more excited to be where I am right now. Terrific. Yeah. And I know we've uh, been talked about a couple of uh... Other big names coming up on the in the lineup for the for the water cooler, so we're we're very excited about that. And I'm was really looking forward, Patrick, to uh, to, to this new edition of Wireless Water Cooler uh, because of our guests and because of the the subject matter. Uh, we're covering the NTIA, which break down our acronyms here: the National Telecommunications and Information Administration. And they're uh, forty three billion dollars of bead money, and just so our listeners are up on acronyms, BEAD, uh, stands for Broadband Equity Access uh, and Deployment. Um, and we have guests who are very knowledgeable in those areas and uh, looking forward to, to talking with them about this. And I will uh, give you the honor of introducing them. Great. Thank you. I appreciate it. And it's great to be here with you as always. So we are going to be talking with two of the leaders of NTIA who are focused on uh, two of the Biden administration's top priorities when it comes to communications. Uh, first, we're going to be speaking with Scott Blake Harris. Uh, always good to be with you, Scott. Scott's the senior spectrum advisor at NTIA, where he's leading the Biden administration's work to develop a national spectrum strategy. Scott's uh, been practicing law in DC for, I won't say how many years, but he's very knowledgeable. Uh, he previously served in government uh, as a general counsel of the Department of Energy, as the first chief of the International Bureau at the FCC, and as chief counsel for export administration at the Department of Commerce. Uh, in addition to our spectrum discussion, we will of course be hitting the big topic of infrastructure deployment and connecting all Americans with high-speed broadband. For that conversation, we're delighted to be joined by Sarah Morris. Sarah joined NTIA as a senior advisor in March of 2022, where she's helping to lead the agency's effort to implement the Bipartisan Infrastructure Act. 
Sarah was previously a director at New America's Open Technology Institute, and prior to joining New America, uh, Sarah was a fellow with the Public Interest Law Media Public Interest for Media Access Project. Welcome, both of you. Thank you. Well, let's talk about Spectrum first, Scott. Uh, you know, the, at WIA, I'm always in favor of talking about Spectrum first. I, I know you are. And at WIA, as you know, our members are deploying the infrastructure from macro towers to small cells to in-building solutions, DAS, private wireless, you name it. All of that, of course, depends on access to Spectrum. Uh, and over the last, you know, several years, we've had a fair amount of low band, mid band, and even all the way up to the millimeter wave to deploy uh, 4G and 5G networks. So your uh, agency just kicked off an effort to develop a national spectrum strategy. Can you describe the goal of that strategy and, and why do we need one? Of course. Well, look, the reason we need it is that demand for spectrum use increases every day. And I'm sure your members know about that better than anybody does. Uh, from satellite mega constellations to wireless broadband networks to moon missions to defending the South Pacific. So the goal of the strategy is to find a path to increase spectrum access over the next two, five, and 10 years for both the pr private sector and importantly for the public, public sector as well. So you recently had a couple of listening sessions uh, from different parties within the policy world who are looking at spectrum issues and the business world. Uh, and you uh, put out a request for comment, which elicited a fair amount of uh, discussion from people who are very interested in what you're doing. Um, anything you heard in any of those discussions or in those comments that surprised you? Are there any universally held truths when it comes to spectrum? So the one universal truth is really what was the underlying motivation for putting together or uh, beginning to put together a spectrum strategy, which is pretty much everyone who has an interest in spectrum believes that they need more spectrum to provide their services both today and going forward. Uh, we heard, of course, as we expected to from the terrestrial wireless broadband sector, but we also heard from the satellite set, uh, broadband and space commerce sector, from the transportation sector, both automotive and aviation, from the scientific sector, the public safety sector, the aerospace and defense sector. I mean, the demand for spectrum, the demand for additional spectrum is the underlying truth here. So in terms of surprises, I suppose the one surprise is that many of our commenters at least implied that spectrum access is always a zero-sum game, which I do not believe to be true. I do not believe that increasing access for one user necessarily implies decreasing access for another. Indeed, much of what we do at NTIA is to make the exact opposite a reality. Perhaps the one other surprise is the lack of surprise in the bands people are, are seem to be most interested in. Interesting. So there are a lot of debates about licensed exclusive use versus unlicensed, high power, low power, shared, not shared, right? Um, and, and I'd love to get to, to that. But before we even get to a debate over sort of how you allocate spectrum once it's freed up, you have to have a willing discussion with federal departments who are sitting on a lot of spectrum, which a lot of folks in the commercial sector uh, find attractive. How do you incentivize those agencies? How do you encourage them to have a conversation that starts with a willingness to look at whether or not some of that spectrum could be used for other purposes? 
So I'd like to push back ever so gently, if I can, on the framing of the question. It is, of course, critical that we find ways to gain additional spectrum access for commercial use. And in fact, that is the key goal of our strategy. But it is worth remembering that federal agencies also have a sense of urgency about their future spectrum needs and whether they will be able to meet their always increasing mission requirements. And that is, and frankly, I think should be also a concern of our strategy. Having said that, we are working really closely with the federal agencies. As you noted, we kicked off the spectrum strategy with a big public outreach program in the form of a request for comments, two public listening sessions, and two tribal common consultations. And even now, we are holding one-on-one -on -one meetings and accepting supplemental comments from interested parties. Side note for your listeners, we're here if you want to speak to us. And if you go to our website, you can find out how to do that. Um, but we also held a listening session with the federal agencies and received written comments from them as well. And we have an interagency working group that meets weekly or actually sometimes more often than weekly to discuss what bands can and should be identified for study. So this is a joint endeavor. Right. It's not just NTIA doing something. It, it is a joint endeavor among all of the government agencies. In, and we're having a discussion into which hopefully we brought a lot of private sector thinking. Finally, one last note. I think the private sector, public sector divide is probably not nearly as stark as most people think it is. Federal agencies often use commercial technologies and services, even for the very most sensitive government missions. And so they too need to care about the availability of spectrum resources for the commercial sector. Right. So you have a lot of balancing to do just managing multiple federal agencies and their individual uses. On top of that, you have uh, perspectives from industry that are not exactly uniform, right? In terms of the, the value. That is of surely correct. <laughs> in terms of, you know, the value of uh, high power exclusive uh, licensed spectrum versus, you know, different sharing models versus other parties who are promoting unlicensed. How do you balance all of that? And how do you, how do you come up with a spectrum strategy that not only addresses the federal users, but the differences between the private sector users? I recently heard you speak and you were very positive actually, as you are wont to be about making all of this work. How do you do it? So look, first of all, I'd say I don't see it as a balancing of between licensed and unlicensed or a balancing between government and commercial interests. I see it as meeting the needs for both the government sector and for the commercial sector. The government needs sector uh, spectrum to defend our country, to explore the universe, to keep the public uh, safe at home and more. The private sector needs spectrum for broadband connectivity, for global technology leadership, for airline safety, for advanced manufacturing and more. How do you balance global technology leadership against scientific exploration? How do you balance uh, national defense against public, public broadband access? I don't think you can balance one against the other. Indeed, I think arguably it's a false dichotomy. I think you have to enable both because I don't think you have a choice. Well, Scott, I know you may have touched on this a little bit, but but how should we be thinking about the future of low, medium, high bands moving forward? 
So look, we are still working our way through the 130 or so comments we received in response to our, our request for comments. Uh, but one thing I take away from the effort so far is that low and medium band spectrum access is really, really important. The most mentioned bands for in-depth study were lower three gigahertz, seven gigahertz, four gigahertz, and upper 12 gigahertz. Nevertheless, I would also like to hazard a guess that access to the upper bands is also going to be important going forward. And one thing I, I, I want to be clear about, we intend to identify 1500 megahertz of spectrum for in-depth study over the next two years. That's not the end of our endeavor. We will, I anticipate, be identifying other bands that should be of interest in the out years, because what we hope to do is have a spectrum strategy that's not a two-year hit. We want to go two years, five years, 10 years. We want to put a create a path forward that both the government and the private sector can, can look at as we go, as, as we move into the future. Two more questions. One, how do you think about the previous work that's already been done, whether it's your own agency's SysMac, that would be the Commercial Spectrum Management Advisory Committee, if we're going to spell out acronyms here, um, or the FCC's Technological Advisory Committee, the TAC, or even a lot of studies that industry have already done, right? We're not starting from scratch. No, we are not. Look, a lot of really, really good work has been done on this in the past. And I hope it won't surprise people to know that we actually looked at a lot of this material before we began the process. And so in many ways, that's the starting point. Now, some of what has been written before, I suspect you will see reiterated in what we do because it's so good and we wish will wish to emphasize it. Uh, the other thing worth noting is that a lot of the more recent work has actually been put into our official record. People have filed some of those reports with us. And if we hadn't read them before, we're surely going to do that now. Excellent. Last question. What happens next? What's the timeline? When, when do you anticipate or what's your goal in terms of putting out a strategy? And obviously, a strategy is merely that, which is important. But at the end of the day, we need to start actually doing the work, right? So what, what is the path forward here? So the plan is to have the strategy done out and published by the end of this year. A few months after that, we intend to issue an implementation plan. And what I mean by that is the following. We say we're going to identify bands for spectrum for study, for in-depth study over the next two years. The implementation plan should lay out the details of that study, so uh, that study plan, so that you will be able to see in black and white. Uh, how we intend to carry out those studies, when we intend to the carry them out, and when we intend to have conclusions over the next two years. It'll be the study plan in effect. Got it. Excellent. Well, this is really important work, Scott. Uh, I am glad that you are doing the work. Uh, I appreciate your consistent willingness to to talk and that the fact that you guys are welcoming conversations, I think it's important that we continue to have dialogue with industry, with government together uh, so that we can uh, get this right. And uh, I hope that everybody else shares the same optimism as you do that we can, because we have to, as you have said before. So I appreciate your work and thanks for being with us. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Excellent. Sarah, NTI is it's the, the forefront of the $42, $43 billion bead program. And uh, I hope you can give us kind of an overview of the state, state of the union right now as, as far as that goes. Uh, thanks, Jim. 
We are certainly thrilled about this opportunity, and we really do recognize the magnitude of this moment uh, that's before us. At a high level, the goal of the bipartisan infrastructure law is clear. It's also extremely ambitious. We are uh, tasked collectively across the administration with connecting everyone in the country to affordable, reliable, high-speed internet service. And the BEAD program is a huge part of meeting that goal. So in 2022, we were really laser focused on getting our um, notice of funding opportunities or NOFOs as we call them out the door. I will note that we got them out early ahead of schedule. Um, and we also spent the, the second half of 2022 making sure that every state and territory submitted application materials for the BEAD and digital equity planning grants, um, which allowed the, the states and territories to begin standing up their state broadband offices if they didn't have one already, start planning, preparing to stand up the sub-granting programs that, that they are tasked with um, to get this money out the door and shovels in the ground. An important thing to know about BEAD is that uh, uh, it's a large tranche of money passing that, that flows through NTIA and that we oversee, but it's really designed to be a state program um, so each state will develop their own plans for how they spend the money subject to NTIA approval. So in 2023, we're really leaning into the planning and execution phase alongside the states. Uh, once we announce the allocation amounts that each state and territory will receive next month, states and territories will then have six months to submit their initial proposals for approval by NTIA. Um, so in terms of you know, where we're at. Once once we make those allocation announcement, announcements, we'll expect to see those initial proposals come in throughout the second half of the year. So that requires a lot of uh, work with the FCC with their broadband maps. Uh, so I'm sure that you guys are coordinating with them regularly uh, as they finalize or continue to work on the next iteration of the maps. Can you talk about that process in terms of um, you know, your work with the FCC with the maps, and are you confident that you will be able to, um, you know, meet that June 30th target for allocating the funds? Yeah, thanks for the question, Patrick. We, um, Congress told us that we need to use the FCC's maps uh, as part, as a component of our allocation formula, which determines how much money each state receives. Um, and so we uh, are working extremely closely with the FCC to uh, to track that the mapping process that they're standing up, and um, uh, and and we continue to target June 30th as the date that we'll get these allocation announcements out to each state, um, and which will allow them to to continue the planning uh, for how they spend those funds. And I just want to you know we hear every day that we delay is another day that communities don't get connected, and we know that this delay therefore carries a real cost. So we really feel the urgency of getting this funding out the door so that we can put it to work for everyone in America, and you know that's why we continue to to really drive this forward. The bead program is an extremely large program. It's complex. Uh, it's going to take some time to uh, to work through all the steps, and so we're trying to drive forward uh, as much as possible while still also being careful in, in, how we, in how we do that. And you know we're confident that the FCC's maps will form a solid basis for our uh, allocations in June for the BEAD funding. We're working extremely closely, as I said, with the FCC to ensure that the FCC map includes as much robust data as possible in advance of that deadline. 
and we'll continue to to push forward all the way through the end of the, the this little sprint. Yeah, you know, as someone who has worked on the broadband mapping issue in my former life, um, what I can say about the FCC's map is what we have right now is the most accurate broadband map we've ever had. It's an iterative process, so there's going to continue to be updates to it forever, frankly, right, uh, as deployment continues. Um, the other thing I would note is the FCC's maps will be determined will determine the amount of money each state gets, but then the states do have the, the a, a process once they get their money to decide where they actually allocate the money, including challenges to where there is and is not broadband. So it's not like this is a one and done process. That's exactly right, Patrick. And in addition to being the most granular data that we've ever seen coming from the FCC and their maps, this is also the first time that the FCC has allowed additional stakeholder engagement to contextualize and provide additional inputs vis-a-vis um, uh, -vis the, the data that the ISPs are submitting. And so to your point, it's an iterative process. It's constantly improving. We've been tracking those improvements alongside the FCC. And it's, you know, we're never going to get too perfect because things are changing every day. Uh, deployments are happening. Investments are incurring, occurring. And the map will continue to, to need to be updated as a result. But we feel good about where it is now as a snapshot and where it will be by June 30th as a snapshot of the, the relative need in each state and um, and will help form the basis of the, the next steps that the states need to do through their challenge processes and sub-granting processes on the other side of the allocation. So speaking of states and coordination, um, every single state in the country has raised their hand to participate in the program. And that means every single state now has some form of a, of a broadband office who's responsible for implementing the BEAD program and other federal broadband programs for that matter, including equity programs. Um, what, how is that process going in terms of your work with the states? I'm, you know, it certainly varies, I'm sure, from one state to another, but how do you feel about that coordination process? You know, we have really stepped up our game at NTIA uh, with, with this tranche of funding, and uh, we have brought on an FPO for every state. Um, and when I say an FPO, I mean a federal program officer, so an NTIA employee who lives in, in the states. They're spread throughout the country. And these are folks who wake up every day thinking about they can help their state or territory succeed in connecting everyone in the country to affordable, reliable, high-speed internet service. Um, so we've really leaned into this customer service support model um, where we as an agency are really here to support this whole endeavor um, within each state from start to finish. This involves lots of technical assistance that we've been rolling out. You can see one example um, on our website, which we, we posted the guidance for public comment. Um, and this is particularly important guidance. It deals with the state challenge process uh, that we, we discussed a couple minutes ago. Um, again, this that will occur after we make our allocation announcement in June. And so we're really, um, we've got a great team working on that guidance. We've got a great team of federal program officers um, and a whole bunch of other folks really thinking about where things can get stuck and working to get them unstuck. Um, so that as the states continue to, to drive the best approach that works for the state, we are supporting them and making sure that we're all aligned in this common goal of connecting everyone in the country. For the companies that are out there, our members um, and others that are interested in working with the states and working with NTIA to get this done, to connect everyone, 
do you have any advice for them in terms of, you know, what they can do or what they should be thinking about to, to effectively participate in the process at this stage? Absolutely. Be in touch with the state broadband offices and the federal program officers. You can find contact. Anyone can find contact information for both um, uh, the state broadband office and the FPO uh, on the NTIA internetforall.gov website. So you go to internetforall.gov. There is a pull down menu, I think called uh, mapping or maps. And it's actually a map of the United States where if you click on each state or territory, it will pull up uh, uh, a little pop-up window that tells you the who the FPO and who the state broadband office head is in the state. They are great conduits to engage in the process. And um, they're really in the engagement and planning phases now. And so this is a great moment to um, to build those relationships and um, and work with with the teams uh, to to uh, build up the strategies that will help us meet our goals. Excellent. Okay. Um, two uh, somewhat selfish WIA uh, related questions. Uh, as you know, we uh, our members are deploying a lot of fixed wireless to the home these days. Uh, and as you also know, WIA is extremely focused on workforce development. So, um, two part question. Um, given that, you know, 90% of the new net broadband to the home additions last year were from fixed wireless, uh, and we've seen, um, you know, that, that technology continue to thrive in the marketplace, do you see that there's a potential role for fixed wireless connectivity to the home in the program? And then second, um, with respect to the bead funding, you know, we, we really appreciate the fact that you guys are acknowledging the importance of workforce development and it needs to be part of the deployment plan when states submit it. So I'd love your, your take on the importance of that issue as well. Absolutely. Both important prongs uh, and questions. So on, um, on fixed wireless and, and, and the role of wireless generally, we, we have... Well, Congress has structured this program and we are implementing this program with the recognition that it is going to take, this is an all hands on deck moment, and it is going to take a number of different approaches to meet the goal of connecting everyone in the country to affordable, reliable, high-speed internet. Um, We are uh, driving fiber investments where we can, um, because we know that there are, that 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 will help scale all technologies um, across the country, but there will be plenty of room Uh, in states for many different types of strategies, many different types of technologies, including wireless technologies, including fixed wireless. And we we fully recognize there's no one size fits all approach here. Um, And we will work with the states uh, as they consider all technologies um, in in their plans to, uh, to meet the goal of connecting everyone. On workforce, Look, we know that robust a robust workforce is critical to the success of the program, and we are in constant dialogue with states and industry stakeholders to make sure that we're prepared to meet the moment as we surge the resources into projects across the country. Been putting together a number of um, pieces of guidance and helping to uh, build up TA to ensure that training programs are available, that jobs are accessible to a workforce that reflects the makeup of America. Um, we're working with employers, internet service providers, construction contractors to develop strategies to ensure that the telecommunications workforce pipeline is diverse, uh, encouraging new partnerships with training providers. Um, and we're inc- encouraging a number of best practices, including uh, 
For example, engaging employers in the development of curriculum, using proven models that lead to stackable industry-recognized credentials, and providing supportive services along the way, like childcare, transportation, mentorship, et cetera. Um, you can go again to our internetforall.gov to find resources that we've already created, including an excellent workforce planning guide um, that we've been that we've made available, um, as well as a whole host of strategies and examples that um, uh, stakeholders can refer to. So we're putting a lot of energy because we know that this into this uh, this work because we know that it's so important. It really is important. Um, and we appreciate the work that you guys are doing and the materials that you're making available. And this is just one of several programs. I know you're also administering a middle mile program and, and uh, you know, hopefully there'll be some announcements soon about those grants and the digital equity and inclusion program. So you guys are busy uh, and we appreciate it. So with, with all of that going on, um, final question is, um, you know, I, are you as optimistic about the success of this program as Scott is about the success of the National Spectrum Strategy? I am extremely optimistic about the success of this program, particularly in, in combination with the other critical programs that you mentioned that we're also administering, the Middle Mile Program, uh, three actual digital, it's actually three digital equity programs, a planning grant, uh, a um, capacity grant, and a competitive grant program. Uh, we got a in the bipartisan infrastructure law. We also got a top off to our tribal connectivity program uh, to connect tribal communities across the country. Um, and we are still in the implementation phase of um, our our BIP program and our connecting minority communities program, um, which for which the awards have been awarded, and now those programs are standing up and starting to 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 connect folks. Um, so there is a lot, as you said, there's a lot of work going on. Uh, we are extremely excited. Um, we know that it's going to take all of these programs and all of the other programs across the federal government and the state governments uh, to really make this goal a success. Um, but we are um, we're in it uh, to support stakeholders at every step of the way. And we know that this is going to be a marathon and not a sprint, or maybe it will be a series of never ending sprints, which it sort of feels like sometimes. But uh, like I said, we're uh, we're in the thick of it and, and we're excited. Fantastic. Sarah, thank you so much. We appreciate your leadership and uh, for joining us today. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. Um, as, as promised, yeah, we weren't able to get to everything that's going on with uh, NTIA and, and going on out there. And it might be worth another circle back in, uh, in the next few months to, to see how things are going. So uh, we look forward to possible future conversations. Of course. Uh, and uh, with the wireless water cooler coming going forward, uh, we we have some uh, exciting names lined up as well, uh, movers and shakers in the industry, and uh, we look forward to bringing that to uh, you, our listeners. So stay tuned. Thank you for listening to Tower Talks. To subscribe to our podcast, our daily newsletter, or use our other industry resources, please visit InsideTowers.com. Until next time, you've been listening to Tower Talks from Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast.